Are you ready to start being visible? Well, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast. My name is Mildred Talabi. I've spent most of my working life mastering the art of personal branding in my career as a former journalist and communications professional and in my business, which has taken on various forms over the years. I now spend my time championing and coaching women to increase their influence, income and impact through being visible on platforms like LinkedIn and beyond. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you my insights into the journey to be invisible, as well as bringing you amazing candid conversations with female leaders who have chosen to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in their work lives. Now, I want you to hit the subscribe button and get ready to start your own journey to be invisible with today's episode. Today is a very special episode because for the first time ever, I have not one, but two guests in the studio. So my guests today are Avina Shah and Anjali Goodkar. They are the co-founders of You Can Coaching, which is a company that specializes in aligning mid-professional women to careers they actually want and enjoy. Yuvina and Anjali met through a disability group that Yuvina set up in their community around 13 years ago, which is still going today. Prior to starting their business together, Yuvina happily worked in the NHS for 27 years as a therapeutic radiographer and a clinical practice educator until a restructure in her organization caused her role to come to a sudden end. So she started a brand new coaching career at the age of 50. Now, Anjali worked as a finance professional in the corporate space for 17 years before transitioning into executive coaching in order to help other people shift their career with clarity and confidence. Now, together, they combine their unique backgrounds, personal journeys, and experience within their respective careers to help women move from stagnant to joy in their careers. So, ladies, welcome to Start Being Visible. Hey, Milton. Hello. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Good to see you and great to have you here with us, you know. So, I want to go straight from the beginning. I've been connected to both of you on LinkedIn for quite a bit, so I've seen bits of the work that you do popping up on my feed and I absolutely love it. Now your business, You Can Coaching, has been going for five years now. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Okay. So did either of you, because we've just talked about your background. So you've come from public health, Avina, and Anjali, you've come from the corporate finance space. Did either of you ever have an inclination prior to this that you would start your own business? Gosh, never. I'm Urvina, by the way, in case any anyone doesn't realize. No, oh my God, I thought I would actually retire in the NHS. And I, I did absolutely love what I do, what I did. Um, but as you mentioned, the role came to a sudden end. But I had become so specialized and really not spent enough time diversifying my skills. And at that point, I it just got to the point where There was no other progression avenue for me. So, and I had been coaching and mentoring in the NHS for a long time, a good 15 years of my career. So I decided to take it outside of the NHS and set up the business. So that's that's how, for me, it transpired. It was never imagined that I would ever 
<laughs> run my own business at all. I mean, one of the other driving factors for, for me was was my daughter. She's got learning difficulties and it was at a time when she was going through the transition of becoming, going into a high school, 16, 17, 18 years old. And suddenly I started wondering what could she do in her career? And so I decided another way was if she could help me out, that would be a path for her too. It didn't work out. She's got a job by herself, which is fantastic. <laughs> but but the, yeah, that was the other driver for me as well. And I guess the, the tipping point was that the restructure happened. Okay. And by restructure, were you made redundant? No, no. The role got made redundant, but I wasn't, which was, so I got no redundancy money either. It was just the way this they worked the system is that I had to find another role that was in the same pay grade. I would get three years of pay, but for a, in a junior role this, with the same pay I had before. But I wasn't prepared to do that because I had worked too hard to get to the level I had gotten to and had too much knowledge then to go down a level. So I decided to leave. Okay, so for you, Anjali, did you consider ever starting your own business? No, not at all. Um, I was actually quite happy to be employed. And, you know, the idea was I could do a nine to five, which was never a nine to five. And then I would have a life outside work. I think it was very quick how it all happened, how it all transpired. I would say is one of the best things I've done. It was a good transition. It was the right time to transition. It just worked. So background wise then... So you've had 27 years in the NHS now. So how did you get started? And was it, did you always want to be somebody that was involved with health or did you kind of just fall into it? What's your career journey? Well, a little bit came from cultural push to do something, a vocational career. My father was a pharmacist, the loads of medical people in the family. And there was always a push to either be a your accountant or a dentist or a pharmacist or things that brought bread to the table, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah so I went down. In fact, I started, I went off to do pharmacy. But, but I decided after a year, that was not something I really wanted to do, but I really enjoyed science. So I then explored it a little bit and came across therapeutic radiography. It was such the right decision for me. I absolutely loved it because it gave me patient contact. It gave me the opportunity to make a difference. And it, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to use not only science, but maths and, and my communication skills and all of that. So what is very, that story? Very, Sorry to cut you, but what is therapeutic? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, beg your pardon. Yes, therapeutic radiography is is the treatment of cancer in a nutshell using high energy X rays. So basically, once somebody, a patient knows they have cancer, they come to us and we plan their treatment and give them the treatment. So, but in the last few years of my career, I was a practice educator, which meant that I was involved in teaching and training and development and and all of that stuff. So. So I absolutely loved it. Did you have any inclination that this restructure was about to happen or did it kind of come out of nowhere and as a surprise? A complete surprise. I mean, for the last few years before that, though, I was feeling that I was quite complacent and I there seven manager changes in my career and every manager that came along had a different vision. And uh, towards the end, I started feeling like I wasn't doing enough to keep myself in place, but I really didn't know also what to do. And I didn't have enough guidance. So the progression wasn't there, but I stayed because it was comfortable, provided me the money to contribute to the finances at home. And it was convenient. 
So, and it was easy work for me by then because I'd been doing it for so long. So it never occurred to me that it would ever happen. Comfortable and convenient. That keeps so many of us from fulfilling what I would like to call our greater purpose, right? Because we get comfortable and convenient. It pays the bill. Why rock the boat, you know? So, Anjali, were you in a comfortable and convenient place in your career? Oh, yes, absolutely. It was quite costly for me as well. Not in, in how Urvina, Urvina had it in terms of um, a restructure and then leaving. But for me, it was in terms of promotion. So, so in the corporate world, that's the way to get noticed. That's the way to get visible is to get promoted. And, and titles play a big part. For me, I became so complacent at one point that I was bypassed for those promotions for almost seven years in my career. And it wasn't until I started to look at things differently, got some coaching that things started shifting and changing for me in order to get that promotion and realize that I was too comfortable, that I, I pretty much resigned myself to, I'm not promotable, I'm not good enough, you know, and, and it was that narrative that was keeping me from actually getting promoted because I, I kind of went, it's just not going to happen. And I accepted mm -hmm. it. So I was complacent and comfortable in accepting that I'm just not going to progress, but I wasn't willing to then move out or find another role where I could progress. I was quite comfortable staying where I was because that was, again, it was the easiest thing to do. I knew the people, I knew the systems, I could do the work. So it was easier to stay there, even if there was no like opportunity to progress. And for you going into finance, was that also a cultural pressure for you or was it a choice that you you wanted to make from the time you were young it's interesting i never intended to go into accounting or finance my actual preference was to do something sports related but i was born and brought up in kenya and in kenya sports related degrees were not heard of at the time the only options i had were finance or science and i didn't want to go down the science route so that pretty much kind of led to the decision of, well, I don't have a choice. I'm going to do finance because sports isn't something I can I can pursue long term. Uh, and that's how I fell into finance, really. But I wouldn't change it. I, I <laughs> you know, benefit of hindsight. I wouldn't change it because I think I found something that I was I'm actually good at. I understand and I, I enjoy it. And then you, you, you fell all the way up to become the <laughs> vice president. <laughs> Vice president no, at yes. <laughs> was that because that's pretty high up to climb in an organization like that did that was that the promotion that you were that you bypassed for those seven years that eventually came a year before you left to go and do your own business that was pretty much the one I was waiting I was I was working for and uh, I just I got the whole formula wrong basically and so it took seven years to find footing and to get that promotion what is that formula we want to know how do we become <laughs> vice president <laughs> you know <laughs> so the biggest part of it was I didn't recognize and acknowledge that I had a part to play in it. I kept waiting for managers or for other people in the team to notice and kind of go, I think you're ready to get promoted. But I wasn't voicing it. I wasn't 
talking about it openly. I wasn't asking for it. In my head, it was if I do the work and I'm doing the work well, then my manager will notice and say, I think you're ready. Um, but that's not how it works after a certain after a certain level, you know, the expectation is that you show your ambition, you show that you're willing to do it, and then you demonstrate it by already operating at that level. The title comes after you're operating at that level. You don't start doing those kinds of roles after getting the title. That's the difference. And I just had no clue. I was literally waiting. And it wasn't until I started working on myself, did some self-development, that I realized that, you know, if I didn't take control, if I didn't take that responsibility, then there was no one else who was going to fight that corner for me. And funnily enough, I had decided that I was going to leave if I didn't get that promotion in the next year. Like even to get put into the promotion process, forget getting the promotion, but get, you know, getting into the process, I wasn't getting in there. And just by having that change in mindset and thinking differently, things started changing in the workplace because my attitude changed, my confidence levels changed, and my perspective changed. And so I was becoming unconsciously I was becoming visible to those decision makers who were then noticing my capability my potential and were willing to then mentor me to get to that next stage which is what I was missing when my mindset was not not in the right place where I was almost blaming everyone and everything for not getting getting promoted and when I kind of moved over to the other side and started taking control that's when things started changing for me. I love that. And I do want to come back to the point about being visible to the decision makers, because I think that's pretty crucial. And the show is called Start Being Visible. So we definitely want to explore that. So, um, Ivina, for you, um, the public space is a little bit different to the public health space. So how did you progress up the ladder? What were some of the things that you had to do to, to get noticed or to kind of position yourself to create that job that you ended up having, which was a perfect job for you? In terms of progressing up the ladder, wasn't very difficult because in my world of radiography, therapeutic radiography, when I was trained, there was a, such a shortage of radiographers. In a way, quite simple, but I did a lot of things to make myself visible unconsciously again, because I was very, very passionate about education. And because we were so short-staffed, I did a lot of work around getting people in to understand what students are, young people. So I would go to schools, I would set up press conferences, and I would do all kinds of things just to be able to get people into the profession, because I, I was very, very passionate about education and getting people to understand what radiotherapy is and what a wonderful, satisfying, rewarding career it was. As I got up the ladder, after my children and all of that, things started slowing down as they do because I then went part-time and part-time things always slow down and my priorities had changed. But the role that I ended up in, when I applied for that role, it was a full-time role. I was only working two days. I had no clue about PowerPoint. Imagine that. I know people would just laugh right now, right? I went in with a what's called, you may have heard this, an overhead projector where you had an acetate sheet, right? And I did my presentation with a pen on this acetate sheet. And it was only one role, a full-time role. I was working part-time. So I did all that and I convinced them. I was so wanting this job, convinced them that they needed more than one person for this job and gave it to me on the condition I learned PowerPoint. 
I'm old enough to remember projectors and typewriters. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. So um, if you don't advocate for yourself, I'm gonna do it for you. You know, like you're saying, and you were saying, Anjali, like it, you realize that you putting your head down and just getting on with the work, waiting for the managers to recognize and say, hey, you're ready for promotion. It wasn't going to happen. You had to step in and advocate for yourself. Would you agree that that's um, a vital thing that we have to learn to do? Completely. Completely. And it's yeah. really competitive out there now as well. So you do have to. And the pace is changing. So not only do you have to keep up with it, but you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And what are some practical ways that we can do that? in the workplace? There are quite a few. So one is certainly potentially even setting up regular meetings with the decision makers just to show your interest in things, taking on new projects, new tasks, uh, speaking up in meetings. Obviously, if you're an introvert, that could be a little difficult, but finding a way around that. So it could be that you speak afterwards, doing, I don't know, presentations, Oh, that's something I did a lot of in my career is presentations around radiotherapy. Getting yourself involved, not necessarily just in the work you do, but even outside of that. It could be you get involved in uh, DEI things or or uh, well-being things. Just to show yourself what you're passionate about, you can also find in your career that's outside of your daily work. I'm going to add the dreaded word because I know this word sends chills down some people some people's spine and it, and that's networking. Mm. It's not for everyone. And sometimes it, it is overrated, especially in organizations, but it's uh, underestimated just the value of networking. And it doesn't have to be in big groups. Mm. It doesn't have to be where you are, you feel out of place. It can be done in a very subtle way, but it's, that's the only way to get yourself out there is to network more because the more people know you and, and Mildred, you, you, you spoke about personal branding, but that's essentially how you can build your personal branding in an organization and become known as that expert in whatever line of work that you're doing. And what with hybrid working now, it's even more important. Yeah. If you're doing remote working, it's more important to even network now to get whole, understand your colleagues or get to know them or setting up chats, whatever. Or, or if you're in work, I think a lot of people do that now is have their coffee breaks together and yeah. things like that. But yes, that's one way of also networking. Should we be doing this? intentionally with the view of I am going to network because I want a promotion in a year's time or whatever or is it something that we should just kind of adopt as a habit or you know something that you just do within your job that may or may not lead to further opportunities so I'll take that actually Mm. so when I was going for my promotion I did intentional networking which is almost strategic networking not in a like a crude way. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was with my manager's support. And it was putting like uh, getting involved in forums or discussions where there were more senior people so that my manager could give me that platform and I could then shine. So so it wasn't done in a you know, hi, I'm this, can I come and have a chat with you? But it was done in a very like uh, it was assimilated in the day-to-day work, but it was very conscious in front of whom I was presenting and which individuals didn't know anything about me so that my manager could help me get in front of them. So that was a bit more intentional, but 
if you make it a regular habit, then it becomes easier. And I think some people are really good at this because they've learned the art of how to have that conversation, how to build that relationship. The other thing is you're always networking, whether you realize it or not. Just having a chat with a co-worker, you are networking. If you mm. think about it as a chat, just, just curiosity, just understanding what someone else is doing and how you can help them, how they can help you. And you're, you're, you're kind of doing this when you're working in an organization. So you're naturally doing it. But if you put some conscious thought in terms of if you're always chatting to the same people, who is in their network who could who could help you out even more? Who's, you know, look a bit wider than that. So you do a bit of conscious networking uh, and you do a bit of intentional depending on what your goals are. But it should be a habit because what you don't want to come across as is, I don't want to say sleazy, but do you know what I mean? Like it's very, yeah. it's it's very salesy. Like take, you take, take, you know, kind of. Exactly. Not, yeah. and, and that's yeah. not that's not what networking is about it is mm-hmm. it is a genuine conversation so so if you can build that and and you can kind of get that in your work environment in some way then it becomes easier to to do it just i've noticed that people who are in the workplace generally they don't use linkedin as much and i don't know if you've noticed that as well in terms of their career the networking element of it hosting or you know, what they're doing in their workplace because they're so busy in their workplace. So that's another avenue that I think people should explore even more. Yeah, that, you know, I can do a whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> <But> I have <laughs> done. <laughs> yes, have, you can. And I absolutely have worked with clients who through their activity on LinkedIn has gained them visibility inside their workplace. Correct. So it Correct. is an absolute tool that you can utilize for that networking, for that personal branding and all the rest that comes with it. So yeah, definitely. That's the good point. So you're in your separate career path. You get to this point, Avina, where your role has been restructured. They're essentially pushing you out in a sense. And if you're 50, you're like, what do I do? Is this at the same time, Anjali, for you that you get to this place where you get your promotion, but... I don't know, maybe it's not all you thought it would be and you're still unsatisfied and you're thinking to leave. Did you two arrive at the same place at the same time, just in different places? No, no, we didn't. Not at all. Urvina is older than me, so she gets there a lot quicker than I do, (laughs) just naturally. (laughs) Uh, She just learns from me. So she gets there a lot quicker, generally, in these things, because she's very good at listening to her intuition. So Urvina is all heart and gut. I'm all head and logic. So I take a while to get there. She just follows her heart. But yeah, so Urvina got there before I did. When Urvina was going through that, I had just got my promotion. So I was still working through the next phase. I hadn't figured out what I wanted to be doing. At what point did it become clear to you that you two needed to go into business together? I think we had talked about it but really didn't take the action for it until I came away and said, right, let's think about it. So I started it with Anjali's help, but very much Anjali was in the background because she was still working and all the rest of it. And and of course, 
running a business, I had absolutely no clue. I had worked all my life serving people for very little money. Now I wanted to serve people and make money out of it. That was a big mindset shift and learn business stuff as well, which was a huge, huge learning. So in that first year or so, two years maybe, such a huge learning curve. Then you explain how you then came into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was still working kind of as a side hustle in the business whilst I was working full time. And it took me about two years to make the decision to leave my full time role and explore the business. That's because my situation was slightly different to Urvina's. So I had to think about the finances. I had to think about the risk. There were, you know, there were so many factors. There was cultural family pressure of what are you doing? You're leaving a secure job for no income. Like what is going on? So there was a lot of things to consider, lots of discussions, lots of conversations, you know, until I wasn't comfortable to take that step, I couldn't just leave employment. So it took a while to get there. We we didn't know if the business would work. So that was a risk. And so we were exploring whether we could work together, whether, you know, it was a viable uh, niche to go into. What were we going to do? What were we going to sell? We knew how to coach by that point, but we didn't know marketing. We didn't know sales. We didn't know email profiles. And do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so we had to figure all of that out. Um, and that took a while for us to figure out. And because there's two of us, it's not mm-hmm. as simple because we had to figure out what the two of us could bring as a unique thing into the business, mm-hmm. as opposed to just what Ravina wanted or what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, so it took us quite a long time actually to bed it down, to figure it out. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. I felt comfortable enough to then into the business full-time business is, is hard it's like when you go into it seriously it's hard when you're doing it as a side hustle and you've got mm. the blanket of a job or whatever else other fine because I side hustled for about 12 years before I actually then fully went out into my own business and there is a big shift from side yeah. hustling to full-time so yes. I can definitely get all of that risk but it's one thing doing it yourself but it's another thing doing it with someone else what persuaded you that you could make a successful partnership out of this? Because sometimes people lose friendships over partnerships gone wrong. How oh, don't get me wrong. Sometimes, sometimes I want to strangle her. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we had we had known each other for a for a while before because we both are part of a disability group in our community, and we worked very closely in running that. And so we kind of knew our styles and how each of us works and what we bring to the table, what our strengths were, what areas we needed each to work on. So we already knew all of that. Um, so that was tried and tested. Yeah. We didn't have to spend time in the business testing yeah. that out, yeah. which made it comfortable. But we did have some very open conversations about those things before we went into the business yeah. because we needed to make sure there were clear lines around friendship and partnership and as you say the important thing for us in all of this was we didn't want to lose the friendship because that came first and so we we did have that conversation of how are we going to approach this and how are we going to work to make sure it doesn't uh, sour the relationship if anything were to go wrong and touch wood because we are having those open conversations, it's meant that we've been able to resolve any any difference of opinions or, 
you know, Rina wants to go in one direction, I want to take the business in another direction. Because of the communication, understanding where each of us is coming from and why we're suggesting those things, it's worked. I think the biggest aspect is because she's heart and I'm logic, we can, we've got our set of strengths and we focus on those so we don't conflict as much except when we have to make the big decisions. And I guess one of the things that always came into place that we had a common goal, that was really helpful in that always having that in the forefront of our minds. So however, whichever way we reached it, we knew that that was the common goal. So uh, we had to work it out. Uh, And we've both had to be flexible because we haven't got our way with everything. No, It's being flexible and adaptable and going, fine, we'll try it your way. And if that works, brilliant because as Urvina said the end goal is what what counts the name you can is that a combination of both your names is it, it is. is yes it, it is. is i had to well, check i had to check and it also yeah. you can you can do it so i was like oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly exactly that so so our initials came together and and because we could form something that was very positive and what we thought would be empowering it kind of worked in our favor to use our initials, but also to pass on that message to women, particularly out there, to say, you know, you you can do it. How do you split the day-to-day responsibilities of running your business? Is there a set roles? There are, to a certain extent. Mm. So all the content creation and all of that, I tend to do. And then Anjali will work on more of the background techie stuff, Um, you know, the funnels and uh, landing page, you know, setting all these things, MailChimp, all of these things that you have to set up that Anjali will tend to do. So, and then in terms of creating the actual, like we do a lot of videos, so that we tend to both do together. So some of the creative stuff we both do together. Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll often do a mind map. In fact, there's one on the wall right here that we'll, you know, then we'll see how, how can we both put ourselves in this mind map? Where do we come in? How, what are the strengths that we can bring into it? Mm. It's actually not very defined in like how you would have it in an organization to say, you know, um, you're head of marketing and you're head of finance. So therefore you only look after finance. No. Um we've, we've tried to blur the lines a little bit to make it more collaborative because I think it's also important that um, uh, if Urvina is doing the kind of the content side of things, I, I want to also have an input in there because at the end of the day, it's it's representing both of us. So it's got to have both our personalities um, in there. Uh, and if I'm doing some IT stuff, it's important for Urvina to know about it because if I'm not there to help, she's still got to be able to keep the business running and, and deal with those those issues as well. Um, so we, we've we tried to also kind of branch into each other's strengths just so we're not completely focusing on our own things and then stuff just falls through the middle. So we, we make sure that there is that overlap between what both of us are doing and that we both know enough of what each other is doing. So if, if either of us is on holiday, we, mm. we can still keep things going. One of the risks that you have to consider with setting up a business is, as you've already mentioned, is finance. It's that whole thing of, can I match the income or exceed the income that I'm making in my day job? So five years on, have you been able to exceed your work income? And if you have, how soon did that happen in the process of your business? No, is the simple answer. 
because remember there's two of us as well to pull that income for the two of us it probably will take a little bit longer would for if it was just a single revenue you know income stream so no not yet we feel we are on the cusp of things so we are keeping on going and the thing we feel and you know most business owners entrepreneurs will go through the ups and downs of oh my god what are we doing kind of thing but i think the thing to remember here is that in in the business is that we've come so far it doesn't make sense to go back yeah, you know and, and so we just keep at it just to to add you start a business thinking that you're going to focus on one thing as you go evolve. as you evolve as you as you learn about what's what's actually needed out there things change and that's what happened for us so so two years ago we pivoted the whole business because what we had originally deemed was the direction for us wasn't actually what either of us wanted but we didn't realize that until we were actually doing it and we thought no this isn't the kind of target audience that we can serve and we're not doing it justice and we then kind of figured out actually what is it that we are very good at and we can serve better and do it justice so we pivoted the business just about 2 years ago therefore it's almost as if we're starting again but with more knowledge and more experience so we're not making the same mistakes this time round and so it's taken us i think a little bit longer but what we've also kind of decided to focus on is not so much the revenue side of it but more along the lines of what kind of services can we provide and what meets our values because there's no point running after just the income and then you're not serving mm. in the right way because because there's a fine balance between that that client service and you know just focusing on the income and we're very conscious that we don't want to become just revenue generating a revenue generating business we want to have that warmth and that connection with our clients as well so we're very deliberately setting up our our business model in a slightly different way so it's not necessarily going to make us millionaires but it's going to make us very happy people because we can serve <laughs> yes. our clients and we can get the results that we want impact yeah. factor isn't it you're making an impact into in the lives of real people and in yeah. your case it's women so it's it's like why why the passion for where did that come from from this passion to, as you describe it to have women go from stagnancy in their careers to a place of joy is that mm. something that you noticed in your surrounding was a recurring theme with the women around you um Maybe not so much in our immediate circle. It's certainly something that um, we've both seen in our our workplaces before we transitioned into this. Uh, And our own experiences pretty much kind of say, if we're going through it, how many other people are going through it out, but they're not even aware that, you know, they're going through it. And it, you know, it took me seven years to figure things out. It took Ravina about best part of three or four years before she took her next step. So can we get people to find their right path a lot quicker and save them that misery, that um, you know, relationship fallouts or whatever else is the impact? Because it's not just your work. Once you're unhappy in your work, it's going to come home and it's going to impact everything else around you because you know we all spend about 80% of our waking time at work. 
So it's such a big part. So so it's important to actually enjoy what you're doing. But there was also, we were getting people coming through the door that felt we would understand. So culturally, there was an element there, particularly in our communities um, where the Indian woman was the homemaker, didn't speak up, yet so many of us work and then they couldn't make those decisions. So there was an element of that that came through, maybe because we were both Indian and so we were attracting that. So we were finding that culturally as well, we were um, resonating with people. And we were we were talking off air just before we came on about uh, my own experience of like being in transition right now in terms of what I am doing next in my work life while I'm doing what I'm doing now. But and I think one of the things that we were talking about is this whole idea of so often for many of us, we just kind of we work we, from the time we start working, maybe in our teens. My first job was like at 16. I couldn't wait to get out and work. And you just kind of work, 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 work. And sometimes decades go by and you don't look up and stop to see, am I actually doing a job that is fulfilling? Am I actually contributing in a purposeful way in life? You know, that kind of thing. So would you say that there's that, is that something that you've noticed that maybe we need to do more of just kind of press pause for a bit? and evaluate our work situation to make sure that we're actually building a work life and a life that we enjoy. Absolutely. Completely. Absolutely. Um, Especially now, I think COVID, uh, funnily enough, um, gave us that opportunity because everything else came to a standstill. And so people did have that opportunity. and, And those who had that chance to reflect, I think, quite quite a large percentage of it of them have shifted how they're looking at their careers or what they did with their careers um and and there will be always be factors outside of our control but the important thing is to have that clarity Mm. that this is Mm. what this is what you were talking about Mildred earlier as well it's knowing what you want and then you can start taking the steps or making those decisions but if you don't know what you want and you're just kind of going going with it then you're going to be pulled in so many different directions that sometimes you end up being in the same place it's um it's it's a bit like when when you're in a like a whirlpool and you'll get pulled on this side then you get pulled on this side but effectively you've then ended up just being where you are because you you were stuck and and that's what what we don't want people to go through is that stagnation of you think you're progressing but actually you're just in that same kind of ballpark you haven't really moved and you you therefore can't see what what the next step for you is going to be so that's that's what we we are focusing on is to help people take that time out and get that clarity yeah and, and some when you're when you're an objective you give per somebody an objective view it's a far easier than to look look at it from your own eyes so that is very useful in enabling women to see the wood for the trees, you know, or what they really want to do. What are some of the signs that someone's career is stagnating? What what, what can we look out for? The the biggest sign is going to be, how are you feeling about your work? Um, And and I mean, really feeling about it. We have those off days where we don't want to go, and that's absolutely fine. Or we have 
a piece of work that is just tedious and boring, but it's got to be done. That's fine as well. It's, it's if that feeling remains after months and months, that's when you know that that's not normal. It's not a one-off thing. It's It's been gradually building up. It's noticing those, um, or I just don't want to go in. I'm finding every excuse not to go in. Yeah, or I can't be bothered to learn anything new. Yeah. Um, you know, I just do my daily workload. All those mm-hmm. kinds of little signs that are there. And as a, in Anjali's case, like she didn't get that promotion for so long. She kept kept trying, kept trying. And you think, okay, now after a couple of tries, you've got to realize, okay, something's not right here. So what are the choices that they have? Because sometimes we often think, all right, it means it's time for me to go. But for you, um, Anjali, you didn't actually leave straight away. You set yourself, okay, I'm going to give it one year. And if something doesn't change, then I'm going to leave. Is that something that you recommend doing, putting a deadline on it? It helps because it focuses you towards something you want to achieve. And it also means that you give it your all. It's not that you've you've then given up. For some people, finding a different organization may be the, the right choice. And for some people, they can pivot and learn from the same organization, but in a different team. So it, it's all very individual and it depends on, on kind of your circumstances. Do you get along with your manager? Do you have a supportive environment at work or is it very toxic? Is the whole organization toxic or are there different approaches in different teams? And what do you want to learn? What new skill sets do you want? There's so many questions that you go through before you decide, okay, I've had it and I need to need to find a different job or do you know what I think I can stay here another year as long as I can get onto this type of work or I can work in this team or I can do a secondment here it's important to know what your choices are like it's important to recognize those are your choices and I I guess the feeling of having a choice also helps because if you feel trapped then It's, it's hard to make clear decisions when you feel like you don't have a choice. So this is like an empowering way to approach it as well. And I, I think we both believe yeah. there's always a choice, yeah. always a choice. Mm-hmm. And it's a choice that you make. So if you make a choice that I'm just going to stay here and, and the money's good and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it is what it is, then that's it. You live with that choice. You don't regret it. But, you know, so the choice is always yours. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that it may be difficult to transition. So therefore, you know, that, that choice is harder, but there is always a choice. And even if you take just one step, one step, it mean, it might mean just learning something, you know, offline uh, to understand something else, just to make that step, just to get yourself outside of that comfort zone slowly. Yeah. Let's talk visibility, because we've mentioned visibility in the context of work. But now that you both have your own business, visibility probably shows up differently for you now than it did in the workspace. So can you explain what differences you've noticed in that area for you, for yourselves? Well, for me, the biggest difference is social media. When I was in, the, in my career, everything was going to a conference or, you know, on a study day or, or, or doing a workshop in-house, inside somewhere. There was no cameras at all. So the visibility in that respect, it's much bigger now. 
you know, to social media is completely changed. We really had to learn mm. to be visible on social media um, and be comfortable <laughs> and be vulnerable in a in a secluded area with the 20, 30 people. It's it's quite safe. Whereas when you're on visible like this on social media, it can often feel, oh, I'm not sure I want to be this vulnerable. So that learning has been big, certainly in terms of and using all the platforms and you know, one platform might be different to another. So all of those learnings have been huge in terms of visibility. It's, uh, I, I, was, I was always um, not fully introverted, but I, I'm the kind of person who likes being backstage more than on stage. Um, so it was, it was a really big mindset shift to say, it's okay if my face is out there. Uh, and actually, you know, this is what is needed. Um, and it took me, I think about a year before I even did my first video. I I refused to put any pictures of myself. It was always (laughs) just text posts and, you know, stock, stock photos. I was posting, but it was, you know, there was nothing personal. It was very clinical, very corporate, um, because that's, that's what I was comfortable with. And it took, yeah, it took me about a year before I kind of got comfortable with actually what's my personal style uh, and what's my personal voice. So that visibility was not just the physical visibility, but it was also that visibility of authenticity. What is the message that I want to give out and who who do I want to resonate with? Who's going to resonate with me? And it, yeah, it took me a while to get there um, in terms of the kind of language uh, and, and how I come across uh, on social media. Uh, and and it was all thanks to the business. I don't think I would have ever mm. kind of done it if if we mm. we didn't have this this business. Mm. It teaches you a lot about yourself as well. Being oh, coming out of your comfort zone, putting yourself out there. It's a lot, but it's incredibly rewarding when you get past those initial obstacles yeah. and get it done. So that is that is awesome. That's really great. And and on that note, so where are you most active then? Are you guys kind of how are you finding your clients the most? Is it through social media still and that visibility, or do you do in-person things? And and tell us a bit more about the kind of women that you work with, you know, as we round off this episode. Yeah, so we are mostly on LinkedIn, uh, and uh we've we've we are on Instagram and Facebook as well. Most of uh, what we're doing is virtual. So we run masterclasses virtually. We do have some in-person workshops that we've planned for this year, but in most instances, it's all through social media. So, you know, we are on LinkedIn, Mildred. And uh, yeah, our Instagram and our Facebook is is simply UCAN Coaching, uh, which is U-K-A-N uh, Coaching. Okay. And for that lady, what's your final number one piece of advice for her so she's listening to this she's feeling like okay maybe that's me maybe I'm stuck maybe I'm stagnant I'm not sure maybe there's something else for me out there what is your top advice and something she can do right now or the next 24 hours or so to really kind of take that next step forward I would say you know what Listen to yourself, listen to your heart if you're unhappy and take one step at least, just one step, even if it's because if you're feeling overwhelmed, so take one step and you'll get closer and closer to where you want to go. But really think about what is it that will give you joy 
in your career and meaning, especially when you hit a certain age, you want that. Most of the women who come to us want that. So, um, you know, what is it you really, that makes, makes your heart flutter again? I love it. And that is an awesome, perfect place to end this. So thank you so much for um, coming on the show, Anjali, Uvina. It's been really, really great to hear from you and your insights. So for everybody listening, if you want to um, catch these ladies, please go and find them on LinkedIn. Tell us your website again. Yeah, our Instagram is you can coaching, which is U K A N coaching, and our website is you can, which is U K A N, uh, transformyourcareer.com. Okay, okay, I love it. I love it. We'll absolutely connect with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure, and there's so much nuggets to take away from this. And I think you two are just doing amazing work, inspiring women out there. So thank you for sharing a slice of that with us on Start Being Visible. You've been listening to the Start Be Invisible podcast with me, Mildred Talabi. If you're a female leader or a woman in business and you're ready to start your own journey to be invisible on LinkedIn and beyond, get in touch with me via LinkedIn or reach out to me through my website at startbeinvisible.com. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you next week for another five episodes.